Thank you very much for your welcome today. It's good to be here with you. Uh, as uh, Simon said, I'm one of the regional ministers for the association to which you belong. You may not have known that, but you do now. And uh, I bring greetings, firstly, from the church at Elmswell, because that was the last church I was preaching at a little while ago. So I bring my greetings from them, but also from the other churches in the association, because it's as we are part of that wider body that we, uh, we can function in support of one another. I want to just tell you a quick story, actually, of, of something that, for your prayers, but also for your encouragement, in terms of support. There's a small church uh, on the North Norfolk coast at Backton, and um, some while ago, it decided it didn't want to actually be part of our association, so fair enough, that's all right. But then last week, or not last week, but last year, they, they wrote to us and said, our lay pastor is leaving us, what do we do? So we thought, well, we can't be mean, so we went over to see them. And there's very small, very few people there, and I think less than five in, in the congregation. And frankly, things look pretty bad, you know, in terms of, well, what's going to happen here? But there was one of our ministers in a, in a neighbouring church had something of a vision for that area, what, what might be done. So the association put some money in to, to enable some research to be done and some work to be done and some thinking and some moving around. Well, the result of it was that we had a service saying goodbye uh, to the past for Backton Baptist Church. But then, in that same service, we had a service of welcome for the future of Backton Baptist Church. And in fact, there were 50 people there Uh, for that, um, which was obviously excessive, you know, because people had come from various other places. But next week, there were 24 people there who were committed to to creating or to being church there in such a way that the kingdom of God can really begin, we believe, and pray to, to grow and to flourish there. So please, would you pray for that particular situation. Jonathan Squirrel is the minister who's working there, sort of part-time doing that and part-time doing something else. If any of you do part-time work, you know that's two full-time jobs. So do please, do please pray for him. And for the church and the folk at Backton. And can I also say thank you, because you made that possible, not simply because you've been praying about it, because you haven't, because you didn't know about it, did you? No, I'm glad you didn't, otherwise it would have been a useless story to tell you. Um, but because of your giving to home mission, because the giving to home mission enables the, the association, the union to function, as well as churches that have particular needs of ministry. So you've actually helped do that. You have helped Backton Baptist Church, even though you didn't know it. So, so you can pat yourselves on the back for that. That is allowed, believe it or not, um, in Christian circles today. Uh, I was, I've been asked to, um, to preach on leaving boldly. I did think it's not the most welcoming topic to give a visiting <laughs> preacher. You know, here I am, turning up, hours journey to get here, and the topic is leave. So, there you go, fair enough. Well, we'll see what we can do. I have to say, actually, I think it's really quite an important topic in many ways, because one of the things that sharpens up what we do now is what may happen in the future. And one of the things that I think we deeply need in our society is a considerable dose of reality about what people really are and what can really be done with people. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm about to start a mini rant here because I was listening to the radio this morning and a psychologist came on who was basically saying, well, of course, the trouble is we think that human beings are inherently bad when, in fact, they are inherently good and that's how we should treat them. I have to say, I did think to... I yelled... No, I didn't actually yell. I nearly did at the radio. Well, what about the several thousand years of human history? What does that treat, teach you about how good people are? And, of course, the fact of the matter is it it was a ludicrously simplistic view of people because people are clearly a mixture. 
As somebody once said, we have been created to become angels, but very often we become devils. The fact of the matter there is inherent good in humanity and inherent evil that's got in there. And in essence, what human life is about is about letting God take that which is good and raise that up to which it's meant what it's meant to be, getting rid of the rubbish and creating the new humanity that's in Jesus Christ and in which we are called to share. So that's another sermon, actually. But the point is, we do need to think about what are we going to leave, as it were, as human beings? What are we doing now that's going to leave something good in the future? The Apostle Paul says, as the most important point of this particular passage, 1 Corinthians, you are in Christ. And that's our clue to what we need to know and what we need to understand. Because being in Christ means, first of all, that we need to look at the works of life. In other words, the things we do in life, what we are actually engaged in. Because Paul tells us that each Christian is is really like a building. Or rather, Paul is actually talking about the church. We need to recognise here, of course, he's speaking in a context where people are very much trying to put themselves forward, trying to make out that they are better than the other guy trying to set up factions and groups that will compete with one another so that they can be top dog. Into that context, Paul is saying, look, I'm someone who's just built a foundation, but people are going to build on that. And the foundation of the good news that you've received, you have got to build on that, both as individuals and as churches. The foundation is Jesus, but what are you going to put on top? Could be gold, could be silver, But it might be other things as well that are not nearly so precious, sort of the rubbishy things. And he points out that there will be quality control over this sort of thing. That God is concerned about what we do and the quality, the value, the substance, the reality of it. It's not good enough to offer to God that which is second best, as it were. It's not good enough to think we can get by. Or more importantly, it's not good enough to think that we can con God and other people into thinking that we're actually rather better than we really are. And you know, that sort of thing is there in human beings of all sorts. I heard again on the radio, I think that's all I do is listen to the radio. But apparently, I didn't know about this, that the highest court, the highest judge in the land in Australia is a guy who has an international reputation for integrity and all the rest of it. He's just gone to prison for two years for lying about a parking... No, no, a a speeding fine. Really, because he picked up a speeding fine and something in him said he couldn't admit to it. And so he lied. And, of course, lies build up and, you know, that's perjury. That's why he's got two years in jail. But this was someone of the highest integrity but still capable of really that foolish lie. Now, look, if someone like that's capable of that, you and I are capable of it, aren't we? Admit it, yes? Yes. Even at our best, there's a danger that we might come out at our worst. So we need to remember that and recognise that, yeah, the quality's going to be tested. Paul says it will be tested by fire. The truth will out. And some sort of account will actually have to be given. He says that in some of his other letters, and the writer to the Hebrews says the same thing. But the point is this, just therefore be aware. Be aware. And recognise too that when there's a testing of the quality, if it's good, 
There's a reward. And that's something that actually there in the scriptures. I know, we, you know, we're not supposed to talk about being rewarded, are we, for things? You know, that's not quite PC these days, is it? You know? But the fact of the matter is, God wants to bless people. He wants to encourage people. He wants to lift them up. He wants to make them feel better about themselves. And that's why there are rewards for that which is good. But we need to bear in mind that there's also stuff that's not so good. A little bit more about these works of life. What are they going to look like? Well, I want to suggest that Jesus is the foundation and therefore his way is going to be the key way. We actually get a clue from that reading from from Micah where God simply says to people, look, this is what's required of you. The prophet says, what's required of you? To, To do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. There's a big picture there, isn't there? We're not just simply talking about, you know, how I behave uh, in my ordinary everyday life. We're talking about how I think about the world, how it should be shaped by justice, how it should be shaped by care and compassion, how there should be humility that we don't think of ourselves too much because that means we don't think about others, and how we need to learn to be with God because it's out of working with him that the realities will come. So, just let me give you a couple of clues then about what it means to, to leave something that will be good. Jesus gave two commands, didn't he, really? Or rather summarised the heart of what God wants. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Walk humbly with your God. And love your neighbour as yourself. Do justice. Love mercy. In essence, the same things, but put into a different framework. One that perhaps we can get hold of and begin to get a bit more of a grip on. Because loving God and loving our neighbours has a very, very practical thing, a very practical aspect, doesn't it? It's about the things you do every day. It's about how you treat people, what respect you give to them, whether you take any notice of them, how you treat the person at the checkout at Tesco's, how you treat the, the milkman, how you treat the person that you're dealing with in the shop where you work or the office where you work, or how you react to the person who stupidly cut you up in the car just now. All of those are issues that revolve around loving God, loving your neighbour. And sometimes, you know, that doesn't always quite come out the way we expect it, really, in terms of what God sees as particularly important. Uh, I I was reminded of of this little book, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. I don't know if any of you have read it. If not, you should read it. Um, It's a story about a man who has a dream, and in a dream he goes on a day trip to heaven, effectively, or at least nearly into heaven. And there are other people on this day trip, and they sort of meet people who are really from heaven, and there are various discussions about their lives and so on. But there's one one passage in which which, uh, the, the person who's gone on this day trip Uh, he has a guide with him who explains things, suddenly sees coming towards him this this vision of a woman, this amazing woman, who who comes along and is is attended by all sorts of beautiful angels and about whom all sorts of animals are dancing and gambling and there are children in front of her throwing sort of petals in front of her and so on. It's a tremendous picture of somebody clearly very, very, very important. And... uh, And uh, the writer goes on and and, and he's obviously greatly touched by this and how this must be someone very important. And you can can imagine who he's beginning to think. This is heaven, all right? This is a woman, beautiful beyond imagining, huge 
entourage of angels and so on around her. And he says to his guide, is it, is it? I whispered to my guide, not at all, he said. It's someone you'll never have heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith and she lived in Golders Green. (laughs) The point that then goes on is, this unknown woman had a huge family, not of her own, but every person who came to her that she met was touched by her love. Every child she came across was encouraged by her. Every person who was down and out found some help suddenly turning up. All done secretly, all done with no one knowing. Someone who in the world's eyes had absolutely no status or value at all, but in heaven is higher than the highest person in heaven might be. It's worth remembering that it isn't necessarily the big deeds that God notices most. But is there love in it? That means he notices Is there compassion in it? He will remark upon that. And it doesn't matter whether that's done by world leaders at the G20 summit or whether it's done by someone completely in secret by leaving a cake at someone's door who's in need and then running away so they don't see who it is. Those things are marked by God as valuable. This is gold and silver and precious stones that are being built on the foundation. That doesn't mean big things aren't important, but what it does say is it is the things that all of us are engaged in that God's going to be looking at and wants to see actually happening. Practical action leaves a positive legacy. And that means you and I can make a difference. We can. Never believe that you are impotent. Never believe that what you do makes no difference. God sees it. If God sees it, God marks it. God will use it. Every practical action of love is like a prayer to God of power that he will use. You and I can make a difference. Part of, I think, the problem with our church in this country at the moment is we don't actually believe that. And in some ways, the evidence would seem to say, well, well, it's not doing too, too well. The church throughout the world is doing fantastically, thank you very much, and it's growing powerfully. There's no reason why it shouldn't do it here. If we believe we can make that difference, based on this, the works of life, love God, love your neighbour, do it like that, then a difference is going to be made. But I have to tell you, that's not everything. There's one other thing too. It's not simply the works of life, but the work of living that's important. What do I mean by that? The legacy is not just what you do, but it's who you are. It's who you are. Once again, Jesus is the key, but Jesus, Jesus, within the gift of his Holy Spirit, if you like. So Paul goes on to say to people, don't you know you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells within you? And this therefore makes a difference to the person I am, not simply to the things that I do. Because if the Spirit dwells in me, then that life of the Spirit will be shown in me. And what's the life of the Spirit? Well, it's the characteristics of Jesus, isn't it? I'm sure you all know what they are, because I've just put them up on the screen, so you can read them for yourself, because I always forget which ones are which, but you know... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul speaks of those as the fruit of the Spirit. And one scholar said the fruit of the Spirit are the graces of Christ. Simply this is the character of Jesus that the Spirit imparts to those who've who've given their lives to Christ. It's the inner life 
that issues in action certainly, but these are things that are to do with who I am, not just what I do. And that's something that perhaps we need to get really pretty firmly within us. You see, the problem with just the works is, good though they might be, is that they are things that are seen and sometimes we just do things so that they get seen. The important thing is where do those things arise from? Because if they arise from fear of punishment, that's not actually the best way for it to happen, is it? Jesus didn't say, fear God and therefore do good. He said, love God and therefore let your lives show goodness. And it's that way that God is at work through his spirit in us and calls for us to be people who allow the spirit to grow those sorts of things in our lives. These are not things that uh, you can make. They're not things that you can demand. They're not things that, well, that you can go on courses to be able to do. They are what God grows in us in the quietness of our everyday lives. It's what God grows in us when, did you notice one of them's patient? Those of you who are parents here will know the necessity of patience. You will also know the difficulty of acquiring patience at times with your children. But the fact of the matter is, you don't know you've got patience until it gets tried, do you? (laughs) And therefore the the, the coming of that patience isn't going to be related to, uh, to anything you have prepared. It will be what's inside of you. And that's where God's Spirit most certainly comes in. That we seek the things of Christ, the way of Christ, the, the aroma of Christ, the savour of Christ. And the Spirit brings these things to us. He brings them to us as we ask for them, primarily. Because asking for such things means that, first of all, we recognise we don't have them, and that's the first step to real knowledge, knowing what I haven't got, so I can ask for what I truly need. But secondly, it's as we ask for them, we recognise, I can't make this happen myself. I need you, Lord. And it transforms Christianity from being just something that we do, a mere religion, a form that we go through, and turns it into the reality of life our engagement with God. Because it's as we engage with God that these things certainly will happen. And therefore, as we ask, well, that's prayer. As we worship and therefore appreciate God more, again, those fruit will grow in us. As we discover the reality of God's love through his word, as we look at that once again, that fruit will grow in us. As we interact with one another, as we encourage one another, as we learn from one another, as we find ways of blessing and helping one another, so again that fruit will grow. And as it grows and grows more in us, then it overflows into the community beyond us and into the homes of others around and about us who are not part of the community of Christ, but whom Christ loves and wants to bring into his community. And so our lives and our actions begin to touch other lives, make real difference and become the legacy that we're going to leave. That when we've left... There's so much more there. And the message again is you can be different like this. You can be different. There is, it is important for Christians to be humble. What do I mean by that? Well, I basically mean we know ourselves. So we know where we're wrong, we know where we're right. But there is a certain type of humility that Christians practice which always sees the wrong and never believes they can be anything different than they are. Now, I'm sorry, that is not Christian humility. 
I don't know what it is actually, but it isn't any good to man nor beast, frankly, because what it does is lock us into immobility and faithlessness. Immobility about what we can do, faithlessness about what God can do. Because the message of the gospel is God transforms people. God gives new life, new birth. And therefore this personality change, if you like, that we're talking about, which is the characteristics of Christ, it can happen. You can be different. And usually what stops you and I from being different is not again God's power, it's our willingness to accept it. Because sometimes the way he makes us different can just be a little bit exposing. I have to admit where I've gone wrong. Can sometimes be a bit testing and trying. I've already mentioned patience. You know, well, you need to be in a situation where you need it, don't you, before you find it. In other words, through the daily aspects of what life is usually like for normal people, God can use all of that to transform us, you and me, all of it, the good and the bad. God's at work with us, in, through and around all of that to transform us into the people that he knows we can be and that we really actually want to be and that the world needs us to be as well. How though? (laughs) Can I just make some suggestions? All things are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. That's how Paul finishes this particular chapter. Remember, this was a situation where people were arguing about who was important, who mattered, who was best. And he's simply saying, look, what matters is your place in Jesus Christ. The fact that you know him, that you live with him, that he lives with you, that his life is, has, has entered into your reality, as it were. That's what really will count. And there's a foundation there. Going back to the beginning, there can be only one foundation, it's Jesus Christ. Who matters most to you? That's a question to ask ourselves, isn't it? How significant is Christ in our lives? Because it's important that he is the foundation. Because if he's not, everything else is going to go a bit wonky, isn't it? It's not going to come out right. The pattern will be incorrect. And whatever we build on top is unlikely to be very satisfying. This may sound a bit arrogant in a sense, I don't think it is, because Christ is God's, okay? In other words, we're not talking about some human being saying, this is what you should do, I'm, I'm really important. We're hearing God offering himself to us afresh. God wanting to come into our lives to make them better. God knocking on the door, as it were, saying, come on, let me in and engage with me in whatever I've got for you, because it's going to be great. It's going to be good. We need to just simply say to ourselves again and again, how well am I rooted in Jesus Christ? Have I, made a, have I given my life over to him, really? Have I asked him to live through my life, truly, as the boss? Have I been willing to let him mould and manage things for me? And have I discovered that there's actually good stuff in that? Oh, it doesn't necessarily happen overnight. We may come to Christ in a particular way, um, came across a poem recently, I can't remember quite all of it, but it was very short. It said, he, he came to faith in St Giles's on the 27th of September 1985. It was a little while later that he came to faith in all circumstances. It's true, isn't it? 
We are on journeys. But it's worth just checking, have I started right? Am I going in the right direction? How much does Jesus mean to me? And then there's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to actually take up these uh, frail human bodies that we are and these rather defective minds and memories and these not such good approaches to life and actually breathe the life of God into them. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul says. You carry around with you divinity. Not that you're divine, that's a heresy by the way, but that God's life divine, eternal life is within you, is animating you, is connected with you. I don't know what words will explain that because it goes beyond our comprehension, doesn't it? But it's here as promise. Not so much actually promise, here as statement. This is the truth. Remember Paul in Galatians says, all who are baptised into Christ are one in Jesus Christ. No bond nor free nor male nor female nor Jew nor Greek. Being in Christ means unity. Amidst all the diversity of humanity, there can be unity because those who are in Jesus, one in him. So in terms of a body in Christ, we're united. But as individuals too in that body, we have a a prized place, if you like, one that God's created. We have a special place, some gift that we can give, some, some service that we can offer, some love that we can show. It's there. It's there because we are in Christ if we is the foundation and if we've opened ourselves to his spirit to work in us. So simply, what do we do? We focus on Jesus. What does he want me to do? It's not actually quite what would Jesus do. Actually, that can be a bit different from what he might want us to do. It's what he wants us to do that actually is the critical thing. And to focus on him and to ask simply, well, what gift or grace does he want to give to me now? What thing, by grace, the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation, Paul says. We're not alone in building this legacy. This is not something we have to manufacture. We let God be at work in us. That's the crucial thing. You are of Christ and Christ is of God. If we're going to leave anything that's worth leaving, it's got to be of Jesus, isn't it? You've all, you all know the old, the old children's story, don't you? You know the one about the, the preacher who got up and said, right children, I've got a question for you today, I want to describe something and I want you to tell me what it is. It's small, it's furry, it runs around in trees and it eats nuts. What is it? And the little boy replied, well it sounds like a squirrel but the answer must be Jesus. Because that's where every children's thought goes, isn't it? But the fact of the matter, where we are now, the answer is Jesus. It is Jesus. Engagement, involvement, excitement with him. Letting the reality of his life flow through us. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? That's a challenge to every individual and to our society, isn't it? And to love the Lord your God, for he loves you with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. Notice you've got to love yourself in order to do that. God's not down on people. But what God wants is to truly lift us up. 
to truly give us something that we can, we can say is good. The deeds we have done, but the life we have lived. I suppose the question is, have we built that yet? Well, I hope we are building it. Because if you've got there already and built it, well, it sounds a little bit like you're not expecting much more from God. Well, can I tell you? There's always more from God than we've ever known yet. doesn't matter what your age is. There's more to come of the goodness and the love of God and therefore more to pass on. But it's worth asking ourselves, have I built, am I building what's really going to last? If it's in Jesus, if it's of Jesus, if it's inspired by Jesus, then the answer is yes, there's something good. There's a prayer going to come up on the screen. I hope it's there. Yeah. That I'd like us to use in just a moment as a, to simply allow these things to be focused. But first, let's be quiet and still and reflect on what we've been, we've been hearing from the scriptures. What I've said may not be everything you need to hear, but what's God said? What's, what's resonated with you? What suddenly sparked off something with you? As I was praying about uh, coming here, one sort of phrase kept coming to my mind about somebody here who was sort of is living in a fog. I don't know quite what that means, but that was the phrase that kept coming to mind. And it speaks to me of perhaps someone who's a bit confused about things, some significant confusion. And that phrase will be relevant to you. If it is, then I think God wants to clear the fog for you. I see you've got a prayer corner. It may be that that's where you need to go and meet with someone and talk with them about that. And if that is at all relevant to you, please do that. Because God does not want us to live in a fog. He wants us to live in a clear day. And in a day in which we see him clearly and gladly can follow him. Because to follow him is absolutely fantastic. It is the best. It really is. The very best we can be is in Jesus. And living with him is the best thing we can ever do. Let's be still and quiet for a moment. I'll pray. And then if you want to, join me with this prayer and cement the thoughts that we have of being in Christ. Lord, we thank you. You've given us everything that really will last into eternity. We've got lots of things, Lord. But we've only got one person who can take us in this life into that which is to come. And there's only one person who can actually be with us through the power of the Spirit in all of that and make of us what we are truly meant to be. And that's good. Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is your gift, the gift of the Father, the gift of the Son too willingly given, the gift that the Spirit continues to make actual for us in the here and now. We do not comprehend this, Lord, but we know it to be the truth, for it's witnessed in our own experience. Lord, may we hear what you have said today about what we need to be and do. Give us the courage to do what we need to do. Give us your grace to live as we need to live. For, Father, we wish to be more and more the people you want us to be, that will make a difference to this world that you've called us to serve.
Lord, we believe we can. We believe you call us. Strengthen us in this truth, we ask. And hear us as we pray this prayer. May it be liberating for us as we focus on you. May it be a fit vehicle for you to work in our lives what you really want to do. Please hear our prayer now as we offer it to you in the name of Jesus. Father God, as we think about our lives, we ask these things of you. Jesus is the way. Help us to focus on him, to learn from him, to know him more, to follow his path of love. Your spirit is the energy giver. Help us to receive from him Christ's characteristics of love, joy, peace, a fruitful life. You are the beginning and the end of all things. Help us to live out our lives in the security of your love and care. Lord God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, please hold and fill our lives to your glory. Amen.